Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we actually have in common. I'm Condice Presley. The one race movement which led last year's historic ascent up Stone Mountain to reclaim the landmark in the name of reconciliation has called for a day of remembrance to commemorate the introduction of slaves into the United States at Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. This year marks the 400th anniversary, providing a significant opportunity to engage in the national discourse around the celebration and the lamentation of the African-American legacy. And to join us to have this conversation or perhaps provide some thought starters for conversations that you might have with others in your circle is Bishop Garland Hunt. He is co-founder of the One Race Movement. He is also the pastor of the Father's House. And as co-founder of the One Race Movement, Bishop, you and I first spoke last year about the movement's historic ascent up Stone Mountain to reclaim Stone Mountain in the name of reconciliation. And this year, One Race is calling for a day of remembrance because of America's so-called original sin. That's correct. That's correct. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is uh, a very, very important time, Condice. It's always good to be with you. This year, from 1619 to now, does represent a very unfortunate history in the context of slavery being introduced to uh, to the United States, and it became a, a way of life. Um, last year, before this, we went to Stone Mountain, which was a, a more outward expression of tearing down what we called spiritual strongholds of racism, white supremacy, and we prayed. We went to the top of the mountain where uh, there literally were many, many years crosses burning. And up there at those same places where the burning crosses for the Ku Klux Klan showed their strength, we said we're going to come up and pray and seek the Lord and raise the cross and say we're declaring the Lord Jesus Christ here on Stone Mountain. Now here we are uh, a year later, and it just so happened that this 400th year is beginning to be very critical because you have to look back and say what actually has happened over this 400-year period. What was the impact of slaves being brought off of a boat in chains into this nation and used to build this nation's uh, economic strength, uh, even used it for commerce. It was chattel slavery. I mean, it was the, the raping, unfortunately, of women. The kids were learned to, 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 to hate and fear uh, white people. I mean, it was just families were, were bought and sold, men were sold, and, and families were torn apart. All these things took place, and so we can look back on this and see what actually has happened in this period because we recognize that the church must respond to this in a, what we feel like is a biblical fashion. So that's why August 25th is so very important to us. 
and what observances are planned for this date? Well, number one is what we've done is we've said that because it is so very important, we are, we are going to actually have so many different churches that will have the same type service on the same date. And what we're going to do is we're having, it's about 15 or 20 churches that have agreed to, to have a, a day of remembrance. Uh, and so that's why it makes this day a great day. Because when this day of remembrance happens, even talking about Christians all over the, the city, uh, some black, some white, we even have uh, some Hispanics that are all a part of crying out to God and saying, forgive us. And it's in the spirit of Daniel 9. Daniel uh, asked the Lord to forgive us of the sins of previous generations. So we're asking the Lord to please forgive us of the sins of previous generations. Because, you know, America, actually, even if you look at the whole 1619 event, you know, from 1619 to 1865, when we had the Emancipation Proclamation, I mean, you're talking about millions of Africans, um, <laughs> image bearers were traded and subjected to, to, subjected to slavery. And then that was a whole, uh, that was a 246-year history of families that, are, that were being destroyed and, and dehumanized. And these 246 years of a 400-year narrative has, was roughly, that part was roughly 61% of the tragic history of our nation. And then you just follow it with this. Listen to this, Condis. Following that period, another 100 years, we had a Reconstruction. We had Jim Crow. We had the Civil Rights Movement, which amounted to about another 25 years. So when you look at the whole process, it's been uh, 13.5 years that we really have not had some type of a divisiveness or some kind of subjugation as a people. Uh, we could say it another way. 86.5% of our collective history in this nation has been steeped in some level of racial terror, division, or some kind of pain. And that's, that's, that's powerful. So some of the church must respond to this. And I believe our, what we are dealing in the black community right now is a result of this. Uh, when you talk about 90 to 95% of those that murder is, is blacks on black crime on black on black murder we have to examine that so so blacks all of us have to say lord we're sorry for generational sin that has impacted us and we let it go on i mean white supremacy uh lack of forgiveness uh lack of caring about what each other's doing in the communities not building together i mean all these things have happened and so for as a church spokesman i have to not blame society the government I have to say the church. Dr. King brought what I thought was one of the most powerful statements. He said that the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday is actually the most racially divided hour of any other hour of the week. And, and even now, here we are in 2019, and it's still the situation. Now, does that mean that all blacks have to go to a white church or all whites have to go to black? No, it doesn't mean that. But we have to at least in our hearts be reconciled in our hearts that we're willing to worship together, that we realize that we're one and that we're one first by Christ as opposed to one first by race. Families are going to gather around the dinner table today, whether it's Sunday dinner for folks who go to the black church or Sunday dinner for our listeners who, who worship wherever they worship. How would you have them address this conversation? Yeah, you know, I think that it's a very critical thing at black tables and around white tables should just honestly say, you know, we 
have a very unfortunate history. So let's build conversations now of what we can do. Once you, once you learn the story, then you own the story. In other words, we, we own what happened. We understand it happened and that we have been a part of the problem. Then we say, what can we do as a solution? So I would, I would around the table, I'd say, what could be a good solution? How can we strengthen young men? Let's say if they there's a table of young, young men, maybe they're in middle school or they're going as teenagers. We want to teach responsibility. We want to teach uh, discipline. We want to teach that, you know, that it's more important for you to, to be a man and prepare for your life in education as opposed to just running the streets, having children, not taking care of your own children. We want to encourage them to, they would, to, to have a standard bearer in their communities. Also, not just giving them to peer influence. Uh, understand values of why they live and those kind of things. So, And then on the, on a, around a white table, they understand, listen, we, we should ask for forgiveness. We should say, hey, I, I want to reach out. I want to care about what's going on in the black community. I want to know how I can be involved. I want to join arms and listen to this and get some black feet under my table to really get to know each other so we can really learn what each other's really dealing with because most cases we're so separated we don't really care what each other's dealing with. And uh, I, I coined this phrase, I said we have we, we, we have this old, this kind of this kind of illness where it says that we don't we don't care. We don't I don't really care what you think and they don't really care what I think. So so what 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 does it really matter? What does it matter that blacks have a problem? What does it matter that whites don't care? And so we are so separated, and it even bleeds into the church. So in the in the in the around the table, it has to be honest conversation about what the situation is and how we can rectify and rebuild communities of Christ that are positive and healthy and strong. To your assertion, Bishop Hunt, that blacks have a problem, whites don't care, what do you say to those whites who say, don't hold me accountable for the sins of my father? It's not my fault. I wasn't here. Great question. And that, and I hear it all the time. <laughs> I hear it all the time. It's, it's one question I hear from blacks and one I hear from whites all the time. That's a that's a great question. So so you look at the past and say, well, you know, my family, as far as I know, my family may not even own slaves. I didn't do that. Why am I responsible? But what happens is, and, and that's why we have to take you a biblical assessment. Daniel 9, the same thing happened in, uh, in Nehemiah, the first and second chapter. They both identified the sins of their forefathers, and they personally took it upon themselves and said, we have sinned. The, the, the scripture talks about how that you look for a band that stands in the gap, and he found none, even though there were a lot of bad things and wicked things going on. He says, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What, you, what you're saying, the ways of the wicked are not just what I have done. It's the ways of my culture. It's the ways of my background. And see, I have also benefited from this. So whether they realize it or not, a white person has benefited from a certain privilege that's passed down that, that goes all the way back to the backs of slaves that have really built this country to be what it was, particularly back to 400 years. So we have to own that. There has to be a sense of ownership of the past and brings to some obligation of doing something in the present. 
Considering today's political discourse and the conversations that people are having in public and in private, is it fair to say that that's an argument that many people, especially people who are not of minority status, are interested in hearing? Oh, I'm sure it doesn't, because that, that sometimes people don't want the weight of it. Don't don't put that on me. Matter, matter of fact, many, many people, black or white, but particularly in the white community, they don't even want to hear uh, you know, what the pain of the past is really represented, particularly now. They say, well, you guys, you know, you have the president uh, that was African-American. You've had all the opportunities that you want. Why, why are you still uh, talking about equality and, and, and still fighting in the streets asking for justice? So, yes, there, there's a disassociation that is actually because it, it brings a burden and they feel a responsibility that many times they don't want to have. So, again, that's why, again, go, go to the church. Inside what I believe scripturally, we have to forgive. We have to take charge of that which we've done. Uh, Zacchaeus, for instance, he did, he defrauded and he did wrong. He said, but in order for me to repay, I need to do that which is four times more than what I actually did. Why is that? Because if I've wronged someone, I want to right the wrong with four times more than what I actually did. So that's the that's the way and the source of what should happen. Now on the other side, I have to give the other side, many blacks have told me, they say, well, why do I need to be reconciled? I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't buy and sell slaves. We're the ones that were victims. But you understand, you can be in chains physically and still be in chains spiritually. Because you not you may not necessarily you don't you may not necessarily have been free, and many times we carry the still the constraints of the past and we bring it into our communities. So we fight against one another. There's the gangs fighting, the things that we look at each other. We can we have, we'll hate each other and have vengeance upon one another when we should be building each other up. So a lot of the same characteristics that the oppressor has done, we end up turning it among ourselves in an oppressor and oppressed environment. So we still have to say, Lord, I'm sorry, because I still have maintained anger, resentment, hatred, all these things over these years, and I know your word says if you need forgiveness, I have to forgive. And even beyond that, I have to release. I can't carry a burden of feeling somebody owes me for years and years, 400 years, without at some point saying, I release you. And then on the other hand, a white person that's a Christian particularly is going to say, no, I don't really want to be released. I want to do everything I can to help you. And when those two come together, Ecclesiastes says that the oppressed actually has the source to free the oppressor, and the oppressor has the source and, and the freedom to, uh, to, to free the oppressed. So in other words, each one frees each other by really finding love and humility. How do we do that one-on-one, one person at a time? It yeah, comes from just listening and caring about each other's life. Realistically, you know, you some, some would say, I can't take that burden, but what I can do is get to know someone of another race. We're really going to do that because otherwise we have these subjective things, thinking about, and really in some cases prejudiced thinking because we put everybody in one category. But when you begin to know people one by one and you know their children, you know the plight that they're facing, even pastors, that, that's something that we really have emphasized. Pastors have to come to know one another, pray together, know each other's children, fellowship together, maybe even have joint services together so that they can really find a place of unity and oneness. It, the, the, the burden is on the church that the, the Bible says that they may be one 
even as I, meaning Jesus, and the Father are one. He, he, he really is a mandate. You guys have to be one. And that's where we divide it right now. We're divided incredibly. So one race has taken on this burden of communicating this in our city. And we're saying that we are one people. We are one race, one kingdom race. And we're going to do everything that we can to address those touchy issues. But we're going to do it in a way that brings us to that one race collective. Our guest in the studio is Bishop Garland Hunt. He's the co-founder of the One Race Movement, which led last year's historical ascent up Stone Mountain to reclaim the landmark in name of reconciliation. Today, the One Race Movement is calling for a day of remembrance to commemorate the introduction of slaves to the United States at Jamestown, Virginia, 400 years ago. Bishop Hunt, it's one thing to say that this is the work of the church Mm -hmm. and the work of the people in the church. Mm Mm-hmm at a time when there are more unchurched people in the world, Mm -hmm. or even in the United States, Mm -hmm. in this state, in this city, than ever before. How do you communicate that message to that population? Mm -hmm. First is by example, it has to be a model. Um, One of the things that we would like to do in one race is that if ever, and I hope it won't be a major issue, where you have law enforcement and somehow you know killing unarmed black men or uh, things happen that it's just really obviously it brings it, it brings a we're almost a war uh, because we had that many times in Baltimore and uh, Ferguson I mean we, it's happened in different locations but if that happened could we could we model out an example of a church that is unified that a church is one that model itself begins to show that there are people that are willing to come together and that we're willing to f- show something different. Now, once that happens, then it bleeds over to acts of justice. So for a person that is not in the church, but they can begin to see the church together, blacks and whites working together to build a community, maybe mentoring kids, maybe working out with the homeless, maybe helping unwed mothers, maybe helping those uh, young men that would normally maybe get into that, that new Jim Crow pipeline, but they were getting them while they're in schools and trying to train them and give them some other options. To see the church go one, way beyond its walls and really develop some methods of working out the community to a point that the, the people that are outside the church can see the people inside the church really working as one and really care about their needs then they'll begin to say, wow, maybe this thing is real because it's not just a black church doing because we're black, but these are black and white people and even Hispanic or even Asian, whatever it might be, but we're working together as the church that we're going to rebuild and re-sow and sacrifice to make sure that our communities are legitimately changed and one by one helping children, helping kids, helping mothers and families and rebuilding from the inside out. So I believe that's the best case scenario is to model something that people can see. Is that the biggest problem facing the church today, reaching the lost who don't do church? I think that's a huge problem because from the very beginning of the church, you say, go ye therefore and teach all nations. I mean, the very thing at Christ's ascension, he empowered the church to go and to preach the gospel. But preaching the gospel is not just preaching the gospel message, but it's also living a gospel message. So therefore, we now recognize that once we're reconciled, once we confess our sin, then the question now is, How do we walk together fully released 
not bound, but fully released and begin to work together to make some differences in our communities. So acts of justice would be the next thing. And one of the things I want to also clarify, that one person or one race should not demand from the other, you have to do me this, you know, give me my 40 acres of the mule. I mean, I know that that certainly was one of the provisions that were talked about doing after the Civil War, but at this point, I would be so satisfied if a, a white church, maybe a prominent white church, took on a very small black church and said, listen, what can we do to help you fulfill your, your vision? Pastor, what is the vision that you feel like you have? How do I help you reach that vision and call? And so when you start dealing with that, you'll find that someone won't care about that notoriety and they don't want the credit. They want to do everything they can to build up someone else. The Bible talks about lifting your brother higher than yourself. So that kind of thing would be very, very vital. And then the other way around, too. You know, it's very difficult many times for, um, black, for whites to come to a black pastor church. Because, you know, it's one thing to follow black leadership, maybe on, in sports or news or whatever it might be. But in church, your, your spiritual uh, health, you, you tend to want somebody of the same race. Well, blacks do adapt easily. So they can adapt to the same environment with a white leader. That's why it's very important, again, to demonstrate that there is true reconciliation, that we can say we are submitting to each other's leadership. So if a, let's say if a white church says to, to a black pastor who is down in a city, he's working, and he has a certain vision to make, make a difference in that city, he said, listen, I submit to your leadership regardless how, how large my church is, how prominent I am. I don't get credit. I'm here to serve your leadership and to help you get where you need to be. And there, that's my joy if I'm able to build you up. So that's the kind of scenarios that I would like to see happen. It has, has happened naturally, though. It cannot happen where I demand you to do it. I say, look, come to, come to my church and give me a million dollars to help me buy my new building. It can't be like that. It has to be by relationships that truly have been formed and genuinely authentic. And out of that, I believe we'll see that kind of mutual sacrifice and love within the church that would demonstrate something that is undeniable from those outside the church. What are the next steps for the One Race Movement after this day of remembrance on the the 400th anniversary of the introduction of slaves to the United States? Well, you know, one of the things that we do in between, even between Stone Mountain and now, we've, we have uh, numbers of different regional prayer meetings. We have groups of pastors that are praying and walking together in the process of that. So we don't really stop in between. So we're keeping this going. We're having the conversations. So from this particular one, we're actually going to, we're doing some very specific and conscientious uh, conversations, dialogues that are continue to be had, and we're going to reach out way beyond where we're comfortable. And it's really a starting to see, I will be able to say it, I'm really happy to say that some of even the larger uh, well-known pastors that were a little leery earlier are getting on board. I won't call names, but it's good to see that because I had the advantage of introducing a white pastor that has probably about 20,000 in his church, introduce him to a black pastor that has about 20,000 in his church, and they didn't even know each other. He did not even, the white pastor didn't even know the black pastor of the black pastor. The black pastor, of course, knew about him, but they never met. And so at our run race meeting, they came together. I had the privilege of introducing them. What I'm saying is we want to close those gaps in our city so that it can be a legitimate relationship. It's not just a business 
uh, acknowledgement, but we really get to know each other. One of the things we also want to do next year is that we want to do something that's, again, a visible demonstration, somewhat like Stone Mountain, maybe a march of thousands of people that will go through the streets of Atlanta and say that we're a reconciled church. Those kind of things. So we have to sometimes demonstrate publicly what God is doing and privately in our lives. Bishop, how can our listeners, individuals, become involved in the One Race Movement? What should our listeners who are churchgoers tell their pastors about the One Race Movement if their churches are not involved? Oh, please go to our website. We have a Facebook, One Race. You can look at, look look us up, One Race, One Word. Uh, on Facebook, you can go to onewastemovement.com to, to find us in, uh, in our, on our website. And just we, but we have uh, people that are there, the real people. And when you ask questions, they will respond. So let us know. Contact us, and then if you say anything like, "When is the next meeting? How can I get involved?" We'll be happy to help you to get involved with either our next regional meeting, maybe uh, some of the pastors groups in your area, and then we'll talk to you about what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. Bishop Garland Hunt, the co-founder of the One Race Movement, pastor of the Father's House. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.